Citrus Magazine. Tonight we have, I think, a very interesting show. <laughs> it started out a little different than I expected, and you know, some of these things just develop in the course. First, about a little piece about Shmir Saloshan, and then we're going to go into uh, the famous question of the uh, of uh, how much hashkocha do you have and tuna fish plants. We're going to touch on it a little bit. We're not going to go through the whole topic, and then we're going to in Hashem. I don't think we'll get to it tonight. If we do get to it, but hopefully, we're going to tell you an interesting challenge that Rabbi Yosef Friedman has and how he dealt with it and what it means for us. It's a very interesting piece. If I don't do it now, I have to try to remember to do it next week. So let's try to get to it tonight. So without further ado, let me start with a little piece on Shmir Saloshan. I just got this today. Uh, it's got maybe 100, 120, I don't know the exact number, but it's got a lot of Hashkocha organizations that are uh, members of ACO. And it's a standards committees, and, you know, they're working on Toloyim, and they're working on uh, what's, what's the, the common uh, standards for, uh, for Group 1, and different things that they have, that they have different committees, and they have meetings. It's, it's a wonderful organization. And uh, I'm able to attend some of the programs, and so it, for me, it's great. I I like feel, I feel that I'm part of a very special group of people, which is true. And uh, now I want to tell you what I just got today. Um, they sent by Fishbane from the uh, ACO. So he sent this over to me, and he asked me if I'd seen it. I hadn't seen it. It came on Friday. It says, "Dear ACO member." It's great, but I'm going to tell you now, you can't believe it. This is this shows who's really sitting back there in those cautious organizations. Everybody's counting the money that these people make. You know how many ish Or why didn't they do this? Or why do they do that? Or why do they charge money? Remember, the fact that we're involved in Malecha Shemayim in day to day, at, at day, day in, day out, is a tremendous highest level of kashrus in their mouths, ability, we all take extremely seriously. However, as we each work for different kash, different agencies, it also has the potential to question or talk negatively regarding another agency. The ACO Executive Committee have therefore embarked on an ACO Shmiras Haloshan project. Oh, I love this. Did you hear this? Each Rosh Chodesh, a short video message will be sent out which will focus on the topic of Shmiras Haloshan in the world of Kashrus. We would like to thank Rabbi Tzvi Goldberg for this wonderful idea, beautiful idea. Only trouble is, I have to know which Svi Goldberg it is. I think it's Svi Goldberg, whose father was Mayor Goldberg, because there's two Svi Goldbergs that work for Star K. 
And I, I just assume this is the mayor's son. You'll see in a second why. We'd like to thank Rabbi Tzvi Goldberg for this beautiful idea. This project is dedicated to Ilu Nishmas, Rabbi Mayor Goldberg, Rabbi Zusha Blech, Rabbi Chaim Goldzweig, and Rabbi David Stigman. If you don't know who these people are, you don't read my magazine, <laughs> because we really uh, talk, we talked about each one of these people. Rabbi David Stigman was a very high-level individual, a person who I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to. I'm talking now, <laughs> and we, uh, he worked for the OK, and I, I, he was a very high-level individual. And I made a shiva call to the Rebbe, his Rebbetson, and uh, she followed us in J-Root at that time, and uh, was, uh, was, it was an experience just talking to him. He was head and heels above almost anybody else I know in personality and involvement and caring about other people. It was, he was not just a mashkiach, he was a high-level mensch, let me tell you, very high-level. And uh, Rabbi Meir Goldberg was the, was the kashvist administrator of, uh, here in Flatbush, of the father kashvist of Flatbush, the son, Rabbi Tzvi Goldberg, took over. The Rabbi Tzvi Goldberg that has dual allegiance, he has the, <laughs> the father kashvist of Flatbush here, and he, is the, and he works for the Star K also. And rather than Rabbi Zusha Blech, whom I hopefully you know, I mean, the man who knew everything about everything. He was one of those few people that you consult, whoever you are, wherever you are, an individual in the street, a rov, a kashvist agency, everybody went to him and asked him because he knew so, so, so much. And the Talmud Chacham too, not to wrote many articles for us in Kashrus magazine. We stopped printing it a while back because he put out a safer of his own, but but we but we had many articles. In fact, well he asked he has permission to reprint the articles from our magazine in his book. Bhaim Goldswike, who was the the OU said that he is the OU. I mean he was the uh, the main person in the OU for fifty years. And Rabbi David Stigman was mentioned. Okay, unbelievable. So this is what they're doing. This is what these rabbis are doing. You think, are they out there in the field and making money? And they're sitting around talking about Malachas HaKodesh and putting out videos, trying to influence each other. We shouldn't talk like one organization about the next. It's a challenge. You're in business, it's a challenge. Beautiful. Very, very, very excited about the project. Looking forward to the next one. <laughs> first, the first one I saw. It was Rabbi Fishbane himself. Okay, now with our topic tonight is about these factories. What happened was I was going to talk about tuna fish because I said I would talk about tuna fish. Last week I mentioned maybe next week we'll talk about tuna fish because we'll talk about Bishalakim and those things. But I, I, I just, I didn't, I read an article and I decided I have to read this article and work through this article with you. It's about everything about cash. It's unbelievable. But let me, before I get there, let me mention tuna fish and we'll tie into it a couple times in, the, in this discussion. To me, tuna fish is the, the first thing that I got ran into, you know, when we're talking about not before Cautious Magazine, when I was a kid, when I was a youngster. Rabbi Moshe Tendler was fighting with the OU over tuna fish. This goes back. I don't want to tell you how long. I make myself sound very old. But it was a long time ago. 
Rabbi Tendler took on the OU, and he was, you know, it didn't matter to him. It didn't matter to him. He was working at, he was a Rebbe and, and, uh, and a scientist working at YU, and uh, he didn't, and the, 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 the OU was tied <laughs> to the RCA and YU, and it's all like one little family. And here he is saying, you can't use the tuna fish. And he, he worked with Rav Moshe and discussed the topics, and Rav Moshe wrote a tshuva. It's a very, very well-known tshuva. The tshuva actually came out, according to my calculation, the tshuva came out in 1977, but I didn't see exactly, oh, I think it was, uh, was, was, it was written in 1977, based upon his communication with Rabbi, uh, with, with, with Rabbi Tendler, but really the psak about the tuna fish went back Many, many years before that, probably into the sixties. I don't even know exactly where, but it was an old thing. When I came around, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was well known already. That Rabbi Tendler did not agree with the OU position on tuna fish. Never did. Never did. Uh, Rabbi Belsky, I had Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Belsky's atzal. Rabbi Belsky's atzal. When he was working, I don't know, he, he was working then at the Cuff K. I had some shackles with him on a personal basis for asking Piskei Halacha, Aitzis, whatever, the old days. And, and I also had some connection with him when he was working with the Cuff K. And then, in fact, one time we were together in Glotmar, believe it or not, two of us came there for Glotmar to see, we just happened to be there, <laughs> incidentally, at the same time, observing the, um, the uh, Trebring. It was very interesting, yeah, Trebring, very, very interesting that I met him there. And I met him in other places, also together at certain places, a place up in the mountains, we were together uh, visiting a plant that we just happened to meet there. But what's interesting is Rabbi Belsky, I'm talking with him in his office. I believe it was in Camp Aguda. I'm pretty sure that's who we were talking. And he's saying that he's going to work for the OU now. And he said to me, but don't worry. I'm not going to give in on certain things like the tuna fish. Tuna fish is never going to give in on. Now, Rabbi Belsky became a big fan of the OU. I mean, he didn't just work for them. He became a big fan of the OU. Everybody knows that. It, it, it pervaded everything. But tuna fish he never gave in on. Never. He, does, he didn't feel the, the OU position was adequate. And we're going to discuss a little bit more tonight. On the other hand, Rabbi uh, Ganak, who runs the OU, um, his position is that, that, what, that what they're doing at the OU is fine. And it's based on, he has nine different reasons why there's not a problem with Bishal Akram on tuna fish. Sometime I believe that'll go through the whole thing with you, maybe next week. I don't know. But it's, it definitely it's worth going through his nine reasons. They're very interesting. They're really very interesting. Whether you sign on to them or not, that's your decision. But I could just tell you that Rabbi Belsky did not, and Rabbi Moshe Tenler doesn't do it either. So, but, but Rabbi Tenler plays a role in what we're discussing tonight, and that's why I introduced him. And uh, you can uh, make your own conclusions. I came across this accidentally, and I really hadn't been aware of it, but, and I'll tell you as we go along why I wasn't so aware of it. There's a, a gentleman by the name of Rabbi Gidon Rothstein. I think he's also called Dr. Rothstein. 
he actually is a Rosh Kolel for a Yeshiva University. They have a Kolel in Hafter, a Yeshiva out in Long Island. And uh, this Rabbi Rothstein, a uh, very interesting man. I, I just tell you as a aside, because I wanted to find out, you know, when you're reading something, you, you want to know who you're talking about. I mean, I just know who he is. So I looked it up. He put out a book. It's a very interesting book. It's called We're Missing the Point. What's wrong with the Orthodox Jewish community and how to fix it? <laughs> so he has the answers for everything. What's wrong with us and how to fix it? But okay, uh, that's, that, that's his book. And so he had a video talking about the book, and I, had, I, I wanted to see that. And I finished most of it. It's a very interesting piece that he has. Very interesting man. And he's so on target. It's so interesting. Really very interesting. I'll just tell you because I'm not going to go into. Here he is that people don't get it. Now, it doesn't mean they're not orthodox, not trying to do mitzvahs and something. They are orthodox. They're trying to do mitzvahs. But there are certain things that have to take precedence, like. Uh, some of the, uh, you know, the, the Yudgi, Gimli Karim, and uh, the Mitzvah's Tadiriya. It's supposed to really know all about what the main Ikarim, the, the, the things that we're supposed to believe in, that the Rambam illuminates 13, and the, uh, the six Mitzvah's Tadiriya, the six Mitzvah's that you could do constantly. And he, and he goes into it, and he shows how many people don't really focus in life they lose, they lose the forest for the trees, or the other way around, whichever it is in this particular case, because they don't, they don't concentrate on what we, they concentrate on, you know, copying a mincha and chakras and this, but they don't necessarily focus on, on things that we're supposed to focus on. That was, that's his theory. It's a very interesting thing in the book. I didn't look at the book. I haven't seen it, but it's, uh, but he's an interesting man. So here's what he put together. Because it's interesting for us, because we're talking about kashras, right? So he's, he has an, a piece that you can get. It's called Necessary Supervision in Factories. Necessary Supervision in Factories by Rabbi Gidon Rothstein. Has at least three chuvas that directly tie into question of uh, how much hashkocha, what's the right type of thing towards hashkocha, how you deal with mashkicham, a tremendous amount of material. Um, and and uh, there were three main places, just for those people who are going to actually look it up, which you should, <laughs> if you if you have never seen it before, you definitely should look it all up. I'm going to give you three sources that we have referred Chelik Aleph Yeridea, in the beginning of Simon Nun Hey. That's the famous one about relying on the testimony or the statement company, uh, a letter from a company. They're putting themselves in the line by making a statement. Can you believe them? <laughs> this is the famous tube. I don't know how many people, I'm not going to go into the Ugg story, but.
<laughs> so the Uggs are the shot the question of shotness. So what happened with Uggs is that the that the that the company spokesman gave out uh notification that everything has uh, linen in it. And then there was some sort of will wool, so the wool and linen, that's that shotness. So there were, obviously there are some cases where they've seen um the shotness in the Uggs. Whether It says, hey, you know. We're finding out that it means, and certainly it's true in some cases, and they're not telling the truth now. So here we have a quarterman lying. Somebody's lying. Somebody's not telling the truth. Or isn't informed. Or just some confusion going on there. And so the, really the old question is, Ramosha felt you could rely on a company. Well, can you? And who was... I learned, you know what I learned? I'm going to tell it to you. This is the thing that I learned, the first thing when Cashless Magazine started out. I'm not embarrassed. I will tell you the first actually That's the first issue of Cautious Magazine. But it wasn't called Cautious Magazine. I called it Cautious Newsletter. And it was one page, not two sides, one side of one page. That was the beginning of Cautious Magazine. And we put out some information about wines and that there was a certain amount of, um, I'm, that they were, they were adding, I'm sorry, I forget, it was the liquor, and they were adding a certain amount of wine. And what happened was, that got around, you can't believe how many people saw that thing. And I got communication from somebody who said that I wasn't being given the correct information. And that the information that was given to me was by somebody who didn't have to tell me the truth or was trying to fool me. And they told me how to get the right information or what the right information was. And that was volume number two. I was, I'm sorry, that was the, that was the, the volume one, but it was, that was the number two of the Kashvist newsletter. <laughs> it was correcting the first mistake, which was found out because the people had misled me in the company. And Raboche was putting out back in 1953, that was the Chuva was written in 1953, the Chuva of Igrit Moshe, Chelek Aleph, Simon Nun about believing and relying on a, a, a company, a statement that they make because Ramosha held that it's going to come out in the future. It's going to it's it's going to eke out, and so they're scared, and there there may be financial and maybe legal and maybe criminal con consequences, and therefore a person wouldn't lie. It's a great swara. But if anybody reads the newspaper, which I don't suggest, or in any way knows what's going on in the news, and I don't suggest you listen, but if you do know, people are going to jail for just this again and again and again every single day. So they've lied. They, mis they misrepresented. They were caught in a lie, and they are going to jail. So it, it's, you know, it's very nice to say... Um, 
a person won't lie. But, you know, let's let's study the numbers. And and you'll see later on, let's, let's study the, the money, <laughs> how much money is going to be made, and what's the likelihood of being discovered. All the people who lie, I think there's a zero likelihood they'll be discovered. But any in any event, that was in 1953. Ramosha said, you could rely on a letter from the company. And the company's letter, by the way, was specifically about whether the oil that was used was vegetable. You what they have. And even though eat the product, and they say the company responded, and we can rely on it. Of the ingredients. The company is buying. Vegetarian. But that doesn't the way it works. First of all, most of them do have in the plant. And second, with I say La Yehuda. statement when somebody says this is what I have the things so for example what equipment are they using are they using the same common equipment that's already got As the other one, okay. Now, yeah, do this too, but he felt that it was less likely. Maybe people were more honest. I don't know. Maybe the pressures today, but we said the pressures are sucked. Everyone has a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the lachats. Everybody complaining about the lachats. Could be. All right. So that was two for number. The time now. It's Yoridea Chela Gimel Simen Ches. Yoridea. Simon, uh, let me say, Chela Gimel, Simon Ches, is from, from 1977. Okay. By 1977, that was the tshuva about the, the factories that make tuna. And Ramosh is very clear in that tshuva. I'm going to read to you a few words. 
I hope they get back to Robbie Rothstein. I don't know if we'll get to him yet. Hopefully we'll get to him. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the chuba from Ramosha is talking about uh, the, these tuna fish. And Ramosha says, Dogim kalufim, shalom nirin kaskasim, afshemumchim gedolim yecholim lahake betvias ayin, ech shahim dogim ksherim, and they've been skinned and you can't tell you're now dealing with a fillet and now who's Maybe. He says, even if they're big mumchim, then they could recognize it. It's clear as a bell. It's not enough to say, I have a mumcha on the staff. He knows everything. I have to know, A, that he's highly qualified, that he's a real expert, bona fide expert. Number two, I have to know that he has seen the fish and attested to them as being kosher. We have to have mashkichim? You mean you have to have mashkichim on tuna fish plants? I don't know if the, my listeners know the OU doesn't have mashkiachim on the tuna fish plants. No. They have a mashkiach sometimes on the plants. And when they send to Israel for with the Yeshua HaRabbanut, they do have mashkiachim that are taking care that the product has been looked at and that the, the, and that a Jew puts the food on the fire. There's a Bisha Yisrael. But the position of the OU is that you do not need Bisha Yisrael. The position of the OU is you do not need a mashkiach inspecting the tuna fish plant because everybody knows they only do tuna fish there. So let's see what Rav Moshe said in 1977. Now you have to remember, this is all very much based on Rabbi Tendler, Rabbi Moshe Tendler. And, and and the tshuva in 1977 was written to Rabbi Moshe Tendler. He says, "Bni chasni bni ha'hu v'chaviv lano ad la'achas." Okay, harav kagon meinu harav meinu Moshe David Tendler shlita. So we're talking about Rabbi Moshe is talking about to his son-in-law, who was in outstanding expert in science and in halacha. And uh, 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 no question about it. And he is saying that here, and Moshe says he agrees. He agrees with him. Now, that's this is the famous tshuva. And uh, I'll read a little bit more to you. Fish running the school. That means all the fish are the same. You see them in the water sometimes in the hundreds running together. 
by the way, tuna feed. The cases, non-kosher fish in the stomach. Not one, but a whole bunch of them. Stuffed with non-kosher fish. So non-kosher fish run together with the, now those are smaller ones, right? Okay. But then there's, there are other fish in that area. And there are things that in the water, you know, you have things that are funny kind of fish like skates. They run together. You're going to find these fish mixed together in among the tuna fish. It's impossible. So that's that's a, a, a given given, says Ramosha. And then he goes on and discusses it further. I'm on, I don't, I mean, the basic the basic line is we need a mashkiach to meet. I'm not talking even Bisha Israel. We're talking now just the question of a mashkiach to meet to examine every fish. There's a question that people say: How much do they, do they even when they are mashkiach, do they examine all the fish? I don't know. I have my theories about that, but at least. You have the man on the, on the on the ground, that creates also a mirsus because they can't stick a fish past him. I remember, like it was today, Rabbi Mr. Stefan, Rabbi probably Rabbi Stefanski, Shalom, passed away just a couple of weeks ago. Who was the one of the principals in Dugim Tuna Fish, and uh, a very Choshevayid who was who was a force behind the Lakewood Minion in Borough Park for decades and decades. So he told me Uh, they they come there to about Duggan. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking 30, 40 years ago. They they they, they run they run the they run the plant. They they clean it up. And they do a, a some koshering, whatever it means. Before, then two days they ran the they ran the tuna fish, and that lasted them for a half a year or something like that. So the when they would go there, one time he said. He remembers that they try to sneak another fish past him. They put it on the line to see if he would catch it. And of course he did. In other words, they were trying to catch him. But when he's not, first of all, where's that fish coming from? If you're telling me that, that there's no other fish in the plant, how'd they get the fish in there? What are they doing? They get, they get fired? I mean, what's going on here? The answer is it's available. And it's possible. And the halacha requires you to know with clear knowledge that this is a kosher fish. That's the beginning of the game. But for that, you need a mashkiach and mashkiach to meet. And therefore, there are those who are careful only to use mashkiach to meet Bish Yisrael to the fish. And there are others who do not require that. And as I said, the OU does not require it. And I'm sure there are other companies, the other hashkafas, some other hashkafas also don't require it. And you can have to, 
investigate. I mean, it's not too hard to find out what the reality is in any particular company. So let me go on now to what I have here from Rabbi Rothstein. And I may have to table that other story. I hope not, but looks like yes. So he, he quotes all these places that I just did over here. Oh, I didn't give you the third one. The third one, that's the big, big one. You know, what I'm talking about is just those two things. He just first case he gave us in 1950, what was it, 53, uh, where Moshe gave us this idea that you could trust the company. Then in 1977, he talks about you got to have mashgicham there, blah, 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 every single minute to check the paper. So people raise the question that Ramosha changes his mind about what you have to have. You need a mashgiach. To me, you don't mashgiach. It seems that they felt there was a, a conflict between those two tshuvas. Now, and unless what I've heard, maybe somebody will correct me. Um, some people try to correct me every week. I get people to correct me. But, but as, as I understand it, Ramosha never changed his opinion on anything in all his tshuvas. Maybe you'll tell me you found examples and I'm not. Okay, so I'll listen to you. But but basically, he's supposed to have kept the idea straight through, and and intentionally so. Um, of course, he wouldn't lo- if he saw something was wrong, he'd correct it. But basically, he didn't change, and he didn't change here either. But now we he started with 53. He went to 77. Now try 1984 rolled around. Ramosha was 91. He passed away in 1986, only two years after this tshuva was written. Now this tshuva found itself in this, I think it's, I'm not sure it's the last chalik or the next last chalik. Uh, it's called Igris Moshe Yeridea chalik uh, Dalid, and it's the first tshuva. And uh, but Moshe was not able to write at that time the tshuva. It was too hard for him. So the tshuva was written with the help of his grandson, Rabbi Mordechai Tenler, who was Mishamish Rabbi Moshe for years. For many years he was Mishamish Rabbi Moshe. And he helped him in this tshuva, which was written to Rabbi Mordechai Tendler. And then in the, this is a little bit of part, part of the confusion, when in the, uh, what, remote, what Mordechai Tendler does is in the middle of the tshuva, so that you have to, uh, I mean, it's, it looks different. You could tell the difference between what, what Moshe meant wrote and what he wrote, but you you got to realize that this has been very much a part of uh, Rabbi Mordechai Tenler's work. Again, Rabbi Moshe, until the day of his death, as far as I know, or at least close to it, he was with all his faculties, and he uh, would, anyone would ask him any shilas. I asked him shilas close to his death, but not this this close probably, but very close. So it, it, yes. Uh, you, you, you know, no one raised the question that you could ask for much. And I want to tell you something about Adam Chashuv. My Rebbe was uh, getting older. He wasn't old. He never he died. He wasn't really old. But uh, he, he, 
he was getting older, and uh, there was some some question or other, and he and he mentioned that that a rov can answer Shilas as long as he knows that he can. In other words, his vision, because there's some Shilas that come up with you need vision to observe something. So he said the vision he knows whether he has or he doesn't have. And therefore, you can rely on a person, even late in life, because they know that's 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 the that's who they are. They know that they won't go past what they can do. And I and I and I saw it. I saw it myself. I saw it with my with my rabbi, and I I'm I believe it a hundred percent with any, with anybody. That's that's the end of a paisek. Just like a person stops driving at a certain stage of life, sometimes so a person could stop posketing certain shilas. That they don't feel that they have the ability to do anymore. So Ramosha was definitely in all his faculties, no question about it. But the tshuva is interesting, and it, it's it, it, there's more here than I could possibly do tonight. So let me just tell you a couple of things in that tshuva. We haven't even touched Rabbi Roth. <laughs> oh, he got me started. And I'll tell you the truth. I didn't see this tshuva until Rabbi Rothstein, I read Rabbi Rothstein's article. Because, because I never had, I never got this this this, this uh, volume, and I, I tried to stick to the volumes where Ramosh himself was the editor, the author. Because I have a certain, I have a certain idea in my brain, and that's that Ramosh decided which two was to print, and he and he did that as far as this is my my brain speaking. I don't know if it's any truth to it, that uh, he, he did that because. He, he felt that this is something that people should know. And the ones that weren't printed by Rav Moshe, printed after his death or maybe very late in life, may have been those that he didn't necessarily choose to put into the safe. So this is something that I don't know, each one of these in the last Sfarim, in the last two, I'm not sure if Rav Moshe would have chosen those to be printed. That he said them, I, I believe, 150%. Exactly word for word, I don't question it. But as far as whether it was his will to print them, I don't know. If he wasn't consulted, I certainly certainly don't know. So, uh, and, and always interesting to me that he printed some uh, chubas that were earlier in later Svarim. And uh, it's very interesting when you study it. I, I, somebody... Uh, We'd write a write a, doc, a doctoral dissertation on this. We'd have a lot of fun trying to figure out why Rev Moshe put this in here and then not there, and and there's got to be something to it. There's definitely something to it. Anyway, so let's go on to a little bit what he's talking about over here. You know, to make it easy, I'm going to take I'll take Rabbi Rothstein, and I won't bother you with me translating it. This is Rev Moshe Feinstein in the earlier volume, which I mentioned the first one. He talks how do you can trust a factory which says it uses only vegetable rather than animal fat because of the halakhic principle, uman lomare umnase. A person will not lie because he doesn't want to kill his business. He wants to protect his standing as a professional. Moshe recognizes circumstances where we cannot rely on these presumptions such as large corporations whose factories are distant from Jewish habitation. Now, this part...
lot of advice of how to handle factories. And he definitely uh, gave it over to him that way. And this is what was printed in the, in the Sefer. He recognized that we cannot rely on these presumptions, such as large corporations whose factories are distant from Jewish habitations, giving them no reason to think they'll be caught, and they're willing to bear the consequences. So can you imagine what's going on now in China? The Jews are not here. They'll, the rabbi says he'll be here next week. The rabbi says he'll be. You know how many how many hashgachos have to make reservations, have to make advanced. China, you can't just walk in. You know what that means? Clean it up. He's coming. <laughs> that's, that's what it means. I'm not joking. Rav Moshe Feinstein pointed out many mashkichim took his ruling to allow foods made there. The practice. Not eight. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's why I mentioned by the concept of fish. Because factories take fishermen's word for what kind of fish he, ha he has caught with few or legal consequences for misrepresenting the truth. So the company could tell you everything is albacore. And the guy who sold it to him as albacore. But to examine every fish is a big time-consuming effort. And they're not doing it as the company when they're buying it. And therefore, they're not lying, they just don't know. A better supervision is called Yotzevenichnas, which is what uh, we, it means the, uh, the, the Mashkiach is not always there. He goes, he comes, he'll come back. So that's a Yotzevenichnas. But supervisors also often slip into a clear and predictable rhythm of visits, which means the factory owners have a good sense of when they're about to be inspected. The more regular the visits, the less the people fear being caught. They figure that they, they're not going to come, he's not going to come again. I had a, a uh, mashkiach who worked, for, there was a mashkiach who worked for uh, the Kuf K on Carvel ice cream. And he would go up to New England, and that was where he was working in New England. But he lived here in Brooklyn, and he only went there once a month or something. And even when he went there, it was only went there for two days. So how could he convince them that them were ingenious? Number one is he would come back the next day. Uh, uh, not every time, but sometimes they come back the next day. See you in a month. See you next. See you next. I'll see you in a while. I'll see you in a few weeks. Whatever. Then he comes back the next day. 
wasn't expected. But that wasn't enough. He told me an ingenious thing. He told the Carvel people up there in New England, I'm going to be sending somebody. In those days, Oreo was great. I'm going to, they're going to ask for Oreo cookies. Because everybody liked to make that ice cream with the, with the cookies in it, cookies and ice cream. And uh, the Oreos was like hot, but it was not kosher. And, the, and Carvel used it. And uh, the kosher ones couldn't use that. So, so this fellow said, I'm going to have some people in, and they're going to test whether you have the Oreos. And you're not going to know that they're coming from me. It could be a woman. It could be somebody not necessarily clearly Jewish. You'll never know. So I said to him, did you ever do it? He said, yeah, I sent in a woman. <laughs> he, he's, he, he got somebody else to go there for him to ask the question. Can I accept I need Oreos. I want Oreos. Put real, real, real stuff I want in there. We don't have Oreos. We don't do it. We can't. It's kosher. <laughs> that was the Hashkafa. Beautiful. Beautiful. Michelle Lumen knew how to do it. It was a great, a great trick. But you got to have something going for you. This Yotze Benichnas thing about where they know when you're going to come back. They know you're not coming back in the next two hours. They know you're not coming back in the next three days. They know you're not coming until next month. And if it's in China, they know you're not coming until a few months from now. What are you talking about? What, where is there a, a solid ush? Apparent contradiction between what he said in the first volume that that you uh, that you could trust the person, and here where he's saying you got to send somebody in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He said the responsum which allows trusting non-Jews dealt with a situation where many Jews lived close by, including the Mashkiach, giving reason to believe he would hear or find out any change at the factory. And you're not talking about a big factory. You're talking about a small mom, pa, bakery or something like that. You're not talking about a factory. We'll see that in a minute because you really can't talk about a factory and say it, it's located in a Jewish community. Who knows what's going on in the factory? Nobody has ever been in there except the people of the business. That, that, the fact that it's right next door to your house, you would never know what's going on in there. But Ramosha was talking about a more smaller place that people could find out. So he said proximity to a Jewish neighborhood, that would be helpful. Mashkir living nearby, that would be helpful. But without these things, you can't rely on the man's word. Now, it doesn't say all this in the first tshuva. And this is in 1984 in this tshuva from, with, with, with Mordechai Tendler. So I don't know what he had in mind originally. And I, I don't know what, I don't, I can't imagine the plant asking about using a vegetable shortening to talk about a plant that's, the mashkir is right nearby and, and the people live nearby. But what happened, at least in this last tube over here that we're talking about, is that they gave you practical, very practical suggestions of how to set up the Ashkocha. And very interestingly, by the way, in the this last tube, the one that was in, when he was in the, nine, in the 90s, and he didn't even write it. He had to have help writing it for his grandson. This tshuva says or talks about the mashkiach, which the sometimes there's no
without permission or clearance. He has freedom to go anywhere and do anything, able to stumble on or catch any malfeasance. He can go ahead and open up things and not to be scared. I got to get permission. I got that's locked. I can't get in. No, he's got to be able to get in. He's got to be able to see what's going on. He's got to be able to come in the middle of the night. He's got to be everything. Now, wait, listen to this. Uh, he, he talks about the mashkiach. I have it here somewhere. I want to find it. But I, he says that the, he recommends that the mashkiach be paid by the uh, uh, by. He should, he should be paid by the the company. Here, with all the mashkiach's responsibilities, his independence matters crucially. We want him immune to clients' reviews, positive or negative, to protect him from feeling any need to curry favor with them. His salary, too, should come from the certifying organization, not the manufacturer, not even a tip, which also forces financial dependence. Further, the certifying organization should be an absolute not-for-profit, which isn't true today even in the most reputable organizations. This, this chuva, i do not going to stand here and try to analyze what Ramosha thought and this and that, and what compare it to question number, to number one and number five, the, the other one, the middle one. What, I have, what we have here, and it's worth everybody reviewing this chuva, everybody should be look at this chuva. It, it, from volume four, Yoridea, number one. It's... Uh, an absolute necessity to read it. I wish I had. Because I, I think it's extremely important for people to hear some of these things. We need to catch up with this. But Moshe doesn't want an organization to be not-for-profit. They can't even get a tip. He, he, he shouldn't be threatened and feel he's the curry favor. We got a mashkich, and they're being paid by the owner. They're not being paid by the hashkacha. They're being told by the owner, do this, do that. They're caught in a bind between the hashkacha and the owner constantly. And, then, and I'm not exaggerating. And I remember when the good old days, the Baruch Hashem, it's over with, where a certain person, I'll, I won't mention his name, who owned a slaughterhouse for chickens would go out onto the floor and tell a mashkiach, I see from the cameras that you're not shechting fast enough. Really? Yes. And they may to make the mashkiach, the shoichet, sign a document that he will, he will shech 600 chickens an hour. A good friend of mine said, I won't sign, and he quit. I won't. I can do it, he told me. I could have done the 600. I could do 1,000, but I won't sign, and I won't work for a factory that makes the mashkir, the shaykhtim sign that they'll, they'll shech 600 chickens an hour. But the hashkacha was there. The hashkacha was still giving hashkacha, forcing them to do this. Something is wrong, and it has to be, you know, changed, and we, I, 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 I'm hoping... I'll be able to see it. In any event, I'm really looking forward to maybe working with the Tendlers on something from this, or maybe with, with Rabbi Rothstein 
if you ever want to, if you want to look it in, uh, into it further, again, I'll give you the name of that, the article that we were reading from. And I see I didn't get to the thing I really wanted to do today. Better listen next week, because hopefully I'm going to be able to do it next week. This article was Necessary Supervision in Factories by Rabbi Gidon, G-I-D-O-N, Rothstein. Just the way it sounds, S-T-E-I-N, Rothstein. It's a wonderful little piece. A look, a look at, for those people who can't do the Hebrew, it's a great look at the tshuvas from Rav Moshe. But if you can do the Hebrew, I would say get a hold of it. You can go to hebrewbooks.org. I did because I don't have it in my house. Hebrewbooks.org. And you get the tshuva from Rav Moshe, Yeridea, uh, Chelek Dalid, Tshuva Aleph. I mean, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And... Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to question how it came about. What's the, you know, where does it, that, that's not for today, right? We saw that Ramosha was definitely behind Mashkichim doing more than just saying, uh, I, got, I, I got the company telling me it's all kosher. I told you the story once, maybe more two times, so I'll say it again briefly. We have a few minutes anyway. When I started out in the Kashrus field, there was a, a Jew who was writing letters. He to the company, a company to speak to whatever, speak to them. In your back, his certification. He never visited the plant. And I know one Jew living not far from my house who lives in Brooklyn who does, gives hashkachos where he's never been in the place. He's never been in the place. I'll get there someday. But right now, he hasn't been in there and he's giving hashkachos on it. And I've unfortunately come across a number of people like that who have given when they had, before they had going to business. They're going to get there soon. They get there the, step, the first day, the second day, the third day. But this gentleman has not been there. It was man, many months. I don't know if he ever got there. And I, I wanted to make an announcement. But he claims he's giving Hashkacha and then he knows and then this and that. Yes, till today, this is going on. So I was going to expose that gentleman uh, 40 years ago, an old rabbi who was sending these letters in the mail. There's a shkuk in the mail. They sent the check in the mail. They never saw the rabbi. <laughs> he never walked in once in his life. And I was going to expose him. And my Rebbe told me, Rabbi Shazim, and said, Rabbi Yosef, don't do it. He sues. <laughs> he told me to watch out because the man is going to try to sue me. So I, 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 you know, being a scaredy cat, and I was a young fellow then, I figured, okay, I'm going to let it pass. <laughs> would I do it now? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think I would do it. It's too scary to, to, to start with litigation. Uh, I, I, you know, there, there are times you, you, you uh, if, if you're talking about something that you have to do, maybe you have to do it. But to fight with him, and I didn't have the money for it. And I definitely didn't. Anyway, uh, we're getting close to the end, so let me just say, we, we started off with a beautiful piece. If you missed it, you got to find out about it, that the cautious agencies are all involved to ACO, and they are trying to promote Shmiras Haloshan, how they talk about 
other kashrus agencies. Beautiful. That's what kashrus is all about. Rabbanim chashuvim trying to make a, a, a food kosher in an emistic way without talking Lashon Hara about anybody. It's very, very important that this should be promoted among the different kashrus organizations. So we're reaching the end of the show, and I want to wish everyone a wonderful week. This is Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. If you want to reach me for any reason, 718-336-8544, Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any suggestions of topics, reactions, uh, if you'd like to get the magazine, Kashrus Magazine, we're just publishing for 38 years. And if and you can catch up on it, I'll get you back. For $36 delivered. And if you get a subscription. When you're sitting out there and you just, you know, Kashrus is not. Kashrus is a moving target, and you do have to stay on top of it. I think our time is up. I wish everyone a wonderful week. And I promise Billy Nether, other things with Rabbi Yosef Friedman next week, which is, don't miss it. It's a very special experience when you hear the story and put it into your own life. Till next week, this is wishing you a wonderful week. Rabbi Yosef Rickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine.